0: Welcome back to Table Topics, where I have a quarter cup of water in my underwear. My name is Justin Brown, and next to me is... Tommy Lyles, who was involved in putting that
1: quarter cup of water in Justin Brown's underwear. Tom, are Louis C.K. jokes in bad
0: taste? Yes, but I don't think that'll stop us. All right. Well, uh, we are back after surviving Hurricane Florence in our underground bunkers. And we've uh, got a lot of games to talk about this episode, uh, but first, Tom, the news. Tell us, tell us, Justin Brown, what is the news? Tom, what's the name of that eight-player uh, game, Spiel des Jahres winner, um, about racing camels? Camel bump. Camel Bump, yes, the, um, excellent, uh, SDJ winner Camel Bump is getting a new edition, a new fan- fancier edition, it's got, um, you know, some improved art, it's got a little circular board, which makes it impossible to use the expansion set. Why do you think came- they changed the name? Uh, oh yes, yes, they did change the name, um... They uh, changed the name from Camel Cup to Camel Up. They moved the C up a little, you know, just just to, just to accentuate, you know. Out of all the changes they do, axing two players, um, changing the board so you can't use the expansion. Oh, they they uh, changed the design of the pyramid. There's still a pyramid, but I think it's kind of like a Yahtzee Cup now. They changed the name. Like, that might be the biggest sin of all. Do you think changing the player count
1: is at all significant?
0: Well, I I do because they're charging the same amount of money that a normal copy of Camel up. So like where where? Well, the... I mean that was like ten years ago, man. Well but the the point is, for either for thirty dollars I can either get the original Camel up, which promises eight players, or I can get the new Camel up, which promises six players and doesn't take the expansion. Are are
1: the old ones all um Are the old copies still readily available? It's an SDJ game, man. Like, they made made, 500,000 copies of it. Okay, never mind. Yeah, for real.
0: Yep. Well, up oh, and uh, my cat also wants to join in on the conversation. So now that Tom has uh, shooed him away, Tom, is there any any news you want to add before we just hop into a boatload of games? No, no. The world is an uninteresting place. Okay. Well, we are just going to hop into a boatload of games. We don't really have a topic this week. Uh, Hurricane Florence just blew it out of us. Um, so, Tom, let's uh, let's go into a couple parlor games that we played. Um, Tom, I heard you played Rummy Cube. I
1: did. I played Rummy Cube, and, uh, so we have a
0: forthcoming
1: project that Justin Brown is leading where we play all the SDJ games, and
0: Rummy Cube was one of those, wasn't it? Rummy Cube is the 1979 SDJ winner, yes.
1: For all of you people out there, if if our listener happens to be one of those board game nerds that thinks that the SDJ games are light nonsense and, uh are basically games that you could play with, like, grandma or your middle school brother or something like that. It doesn't actually appear to have changed from nearly the inception of the award. Rummy Cube is a very, very easy game to play. It was a little boring to me, but I'm pretty
0: sure that we didn't actually even, like, play it right. Um, Yeah, judging from from how you described it, here's the thing. It's a parlor game. Meaning that the rules have evolved multiple times over the past half, de- uh, half century. The creator of the game, uh, Ephraim Herzano, has, he, he wrote the book on uh, Rummy Tile Games, where the rules that I have in my like, 1973 uh, wood box copy are completely different from his 1978 book, which are completely different from the modern, what they call Sabra rules. Um, published well, today. I don't know what the Sabra rules are. I haven't done any research into it. But
1: what we did basically was just do melds until one person went out, and then that one person was acknowledged to be the winner.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. That's um, that is the modern rules. Uh, Those this, rules are garbage. Yes, yes. Um, as as a parlor game, it's intended to be played. It's one intended to be played with some money. Uh, 2. Intended to be played with uh, heavy drinks and smoking available, and 3. It's generally agreed that you play multiple hands until someone reaches a certain threshold, or someone busts, or you guys call it for the night <laughs> you know it's, it's a part of okay. the game
1: if that's the intention it is like fairly out of lockstep with board game design for oh. for uh, because usually like board game design has evolved to the point where it's no longer assumed that you have to be a little wasted in
0: order to enjoy a game although most people would say it helps oh, absolutely absolutely and in fact um that will bring us to the next game we played uh dragon master which um I discussed uh, the uh, last episode about just how fantastic the art is. Um, as a game, Dragon Master is is basically Hearts, uh, Queen of Hearts. Um, it is a negative contract game. You are trying to avoid taking tricks. Uh, we played with three players, which um, you know isn't the ideal amount. It would have been better with four, but yes. still pretty solid, right? Yeah, yeah, solid. I would I would definitely call it solid. Um, it also being a parlor game. Is one of those games where you, it's kind of stiff to begin with, and then as we got a few drinks in our belly. Um, and as one player just completely worked the table, uh, it got a hell of a lot more interesting. We were, we were. There are three modes in the game, Tom. There's basic, which does not have the dragon card. The dragon card is a way to usurp uh, the declarer position from a player. That was the heart of the game. I, I mean, it, yes. the entire yes. game turned on that dragon
1: card. Yes. Like.
0: Uh, we played the um, advanced, which has the dragon card. It lets you uh, challenge the uh, declarer, who is the one who's getting all the money from these uh, penalties. But there is also an expert version of the game, which allows um secret power plays, where if you manage to accomplish a power play, then you can take the Dragon Master role without announcing that you're doing a power play. Um it's sort of a way to like, you know, sneak in the back door. But you know, but the um the caveat here is that because the power play is taking the tricks you're trying to avoid, mm-hmm. um, then you'd lose you, if, a lot yeah, if you, if you, you fail. fail, yes. Okay. Yes, so yeah, yeah. If we if we play that again, you know, we'll try the um, the expert because I think it'll just it'll add just a little bit more spice.
1: Well, I'd certainly love to play it again, and I actually think that despite its cheesy '80s fantasy theming, which I love. By the way, I think that uh, that is a game that is quite that would be accessible to a wide audience. Uh, once you look past the the art and kind of like the strange um, money that the game gets you, everything really is straightforward. Mm-hmm. Don't take spades. Don't take queens. You know, it, you could just play it with a regular deck of cards. It was very much like Euchre.
0: Yes, you absolutely could. And uh, I'm going to yell at my cat because he is jumping on my table where Gloomhaven is. Not our us. Gloomhaven table. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, man, the cat's the star of this show. I should yeah. uh, put a picture of him up on BGG. I might get like, you know, a million thumbs up. All right, Tom, moving on. Uh, after your friend left that one day, we played some Battle Line. Yes, uh, Battle Line, Reiner Nietzsche. Uh, Two thousand published by GMt games, this is actually a re-theming of his thousand nine hundred and ninety nine game uh, shot and Totten which ba- came back which which came back so so first was shot and totten it 's um, a uh, a card game uh, kind of, kind of it 's basically rummy it 's rummy as uh, as a board game uh, there are there are nine flags so you 're playing nine hands of rummy uh, and you 're playing cards to create um, uh, melds or sorry runs and sets and the uh, the the higher value cards you play you can take the flag but here, here's the thing you can't take a flag until you can prove using public information that your opponents can't take it uh, so at the start of the game all, all of your options are on the table everything like nothing is decided yet but as you continue deeper into the game your options run out and indeed you'll reach a point where a card in your hand can decide one flag, but also decide another flag for your opponent. Uh, each card is revealing information that wasn't previously available. Um, Battleline added tactics cards, which I think are are key to the game. It does add some randomness to it, but the bat- the tactics cards act as wild cards, and you can never play uh, one more tactics card than your opponent uh, and Of course, your hand will get clogged up by tactics cards, so it actually becomes like a viable strategy if you see your opponent drawing tactics to just stop playing tactics it 's something that you know you both have to agree to to really get into. Uh, and then when he reprinted uh, Shot and Totten, they added the tactics cards back in. Tom, what do you what do you think of Battle Line? Oh, I think it's tremendous.
1: It really captures. Uh Battleline captures that kind of like ancient push line uh, warfare, and I just love it. I really, really like that game a lot. It's um, possible that I am overrating it, but I doubt it. Frankly, the only thing I could say is that sometimes it's a little mathy, and um, you have to have a good command of like the board and know what cards you are looking for in order to um, in order to prevail. If you don't, then you're just not going you know if you if you're just playing cards willy nilly then you're going to fail inevitably because you won't have developed your board state correctly
0: yeah yeah uh, each flag each flag can only contain 3 cards and if the flag is decided before you can play all your cards, then that field is is closed. You can't put any more cards in there. Um, so you will reach a point towards the end of the game where you just, you can't field anything else. So much of the game is like waiting to
1: strike and like preparing your final moves Yep. And hand management up until that point. And yet you are forced to continue to like make moves and advance. But some moves are going to be feints. Other ones are going to be like huge gambles that you have to pretend are more solid than they actually are. Of course, you have no idea of knowing what your uh, opponent is holding. They may have drawn all of the cards that you're looking for and hoping to get. But I just think that it's a tremendous achievement, really. Especially in, in a two-player game.
0: Yeah, I um, for a long time I kind of rolled my eyes at uh at Reiner Nietzsche. I don't know why. I think it's because um he has such a large. He's, he's probably the most prolific board game designer. Um, Stephen short- King of board games. Yeah, the Stephen King of board games, like short of the uh of the SPI uh designers. You know, the people who made just pumped out war games like three games a month. Uh, back in the 70s and 80s reiner nietzsche is probably like the one designer who has more than 100 games to his day um, a lot of them are rethemings of the of the same games but yeah people kind of uh, kind of roll their eyes at his name but man the guy had like his highs are just are just soaring like they're they're above the clouds and battle line i think is the perfect two-player game
1: we're probably going to be playing that for just hours and hours and hours on that train down to uh, Fort Lauderdale. Yep,
0: Tom and I are going on Joco cruise. Uh, if you guys are on the cruise, uh, you know, hit us up. We love games, <laughs> but yeah, we'll probably just be playing Battle Line. and you'll be kicking my ass because I just, I just can't, I just can't dislodge you, man. No, yeah. no, you're gonna, you, you get
1: better every time. Like it's. Like, I'm gonna start losing these pretty soon. It'll be down to like a 50 50 before you know it. Well, Certainly within six months. <laughs> We've only played this game a half a dozen times. I've won every one, but Justin Brown makes a significant.
0: Gades. Every single time we play. Well, Tom, uh, you still have tech. You'll probably always have tech. Um, I might always have tech. <laughs> yep. Uh, moving on, Tom. Was there um, was there anything you played uh, in the time between uh, last Sunday and this upcoming fr- last Friday? Not that I can remember. All right. Well, so,
1: if I did, that I you
0: know that wasn't it. Simply wasn't memorable. Mm-hmm. So we had a board game night on Friday. The night opened up with lifeboats. Uh, this was. Uh, Nineteen ninety-three German game that I have never heard of before. That Tom somehow found out about. Uh, Tom, why don't you why don't you uh, give us the little rundown on
1: lifeboats? It's a negotiated victory game that involves like a ton of voting, and that's how I came to it. Um, I read a geek list on the Geek many years ago now that talked about um, all these games that basically have no luck to them or feature a significant uh excuse me a significant negotiation component other ones that came to me from this uh list were chinatown uh santiago and a couple of other ones but lifeboats uh of all of those hasn't really received a kind of like recent printing and as a result all of the z-man copies are available and unfortunately the the easiest way to get it is to buy a counterfeit from china off eBay. apparently
0: yep this was um designed by uh Ronald Wettering, um, originally put out by uh, uh, Argentum Verlag. Never heard of this designer, I'm just gonna quickly uh, look up, see what else this... Okay, this guy has, like, no real other pedigree. A game called Bite Night, a game called Loch Ness, uh, but then he just kind of disappeared into the wild. And it's gone to the point where,
1: like the original 1993 version, which was only published in Germany, is uh, simply easier to lay hands on.
0: It, it ups. So Tom actually got a German copy of this game. The the, the quality is. Uh, Actually, above average for a 1993 game.
1: Yeah, for a game that's 25 years old, it held up pretty well. Like, just to clue our listener in, I had, the game replaces its voting wheels in the new edition with a deck of cards. You declare your votes using the cards. But in the old version I got, you actually have, like, this little cardboard uh, shield that you slot a wheel. In that has all of the different things you can vote for. So what you'd have to do is to actually assemble these little shields using kind of a complex uh, car- cardboard and glue sticker that I'm not... Describing wonderfully well, but they all have to be put in by hand. That like you have to press them by hand and kind of hope that like you know you didn't screw it up so much or that there, you didn't accidentally get glue on the inside that'll adhere to the voting wheel when you insert it, or like you know gum up the other components or discolor anything. And I would just like to say I am so grateful that in 25 years, board game manufacturing processes have uh, proceeded and become so efficient that that
0: kind of thing is no longer necessary. Yeah, yeah, uh I mean you really tricked out your copy though. Um you put little uh Lego pirate hats on the um on the officer pieces. That's somewhat practical because there are two different
1: kinds of pieces in this game that are almost indistinguishable, especially from a difference. And if you're trying to be sly, you definitely don't want to ask, like, hey, how many officers are in that boat over there or whatever. You know, you don't want to tip your hand. Um, and I saw, again, it's an idea that I got from The Geek uh, that somebody was putting little sailor hats on their officer minis. And then looking online, I found I could get. Um, you know, a bunch of pirate hats at mm-hmm. a cheap and, price, so. and you
0: also got like a giant gun. Mm-hmm. It, it looks like a flintlock, but when you pull the trigger, it it vibrates like your mother's favorite toy, lights up, and makes like a pew, like a GI Joe laser gun sound. Yeah. Um, so we we haven't actually described what the game is about. This this is a one of those games. Um, that makes an argument for why democracy doesn't work. There are um, there are uh, six or there are seven boats that start at the end of a field. Um, everybody has their colored pawns uh, in in the boats, hopefully different boats. And you vote. You vote on literally everything. You vote to see which boat springs a leak. You vote to see or which, or
1: as we like to call it, who will die. Yeah,
0: who will you vote to see who will die? Uh, you vote to see which boat will actually make it to the end of the field. Um, there are three islands. Each island is worth a variable amount of points. Uh, there's a, a good island, an okay island, and a bad island. Um, and at the end of the game, you know, whoever has the most points wins. Uh, your pieces will die. It, the game can be incredibly unfair to the point where you can just be completely knocked out of the game. But you can still vote. You can vote from the grave. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a, a really interesting mechanism. This is, this is what sold the game for me. Everybody has three, uh, we'll call them pirate hats. Um, if you vote with the pirate hat, it overrules all other votes, uh, but an interesting piece of game theory if somebody else votes with a pirate hat, they pirate hats lose they cancel out, so one person exclusively will get will call the vote, or none of them will get it
1: and then you 've actually like negated your vote and the other pirate hat vote yeah, yeah, which, um, which could radically upset the balance of like whatever the 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 voting blocks
0: were yeah we we reached a point in the game where I'm, where uh like the opening moves were just you know kind of standard um we were
1: uh yeah it was kind of like that for you know the first round of an avalon or something where usually like stuff is is almost kind of like boring like yeah. we're really just trying to establish like a voting record or whatever and then at the end I'll just to skip ahead voting became pretty procedural like there wasn't really a way to like break those blocks up uh, and um, you know lot like there's really only like one or two inevitable results but there's just this golden like half hour to 45 minute period in the middle where it felt like basically everything was on the table and like anything anything could have happened
0: yeah it, it even reached a point where people were kind of like selling their votes like there's there's no real way to uh, profit off of giving your vote away, other than if you're in a boat that you really want to move forward. But um, well, you know, the
1: game says you got to make some deals. Yeah, like, yeah, You know, there's no way to enforce them, but it's definitely that
0: kind of game. Uh, yeah, and the game does provide the tools um, to uh, facilitate, you know, some good deal making. Yeah, it, it took a couple turns for it to really click. I think with the with the right group, like this is this is a fantastic uh, game of of open negotiation. And again, it illustrates why peer, why pure why pure diplomacy, uh, sorry, pure democracy does not work. If you're if you're a hardcore
1: diplomacy player and you're having a hard time getting a game of diplomacy up, I'd offer this as an alternative. Unfortunately, an official copy um, you would probably have to get from Germany for like fifty bucks or something like that plus maybe another $20 shipping or so, and that's a lot to pay for a game. But if you want that kind of, like, democratic experience in a game and you're okay with, like, turning it into a Euro game about points, then uh, this is a great alternative. Once it once it snaps into position, it, like, locks down really, really hard and kind of, like, settles in your brain. There are some people that don't... that, you know, it, didn't, it landed a little bit flat with, but our, we managed to get a full table of six which I'd also recommend quite um, quite strongly. Everyone seemed to have a uh, good time. Several players seemed to have a great time. So, I mean... Maybe not like the best board game in the world, but definitely, definitely going to stay in my collection, and it is a good game that I'm happy to have.
0: Yep, and I'm just going to make a mental note uh, for myself for maybe a future topic. Redesigns or reprintings that are uglier than the original copies, you know, speaking of Campbell Up. Oh, you
1: think um, that that's the, that the reprint?
0: This, this is, so uh, what Tom and I are looking at is a picture of the Z-Man edition. The German edition has this like beautifully illustrated watercolor painting of a a ship that has capsized um and you'd say it would be fair to say this one is a little bit more stripped down it it is so stripped down that the uh the wooden boats um the wooden lifeboats that you're moving are Actually, larger than, no, the, than I didn't the, notice that yeah yeah they're larger than the like the illustrated boat on the picture.
1: Well, well, that is small, and the other one is far away, to yeah, it, uh, paraphrase
0: Father Ted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Um, yeah, I, I'm just going to bring up, like, a picture of the uh, original edition.
1: They made the sailors look a lot uglier in the new one, um, which is strange, considering
0: how ugly they were in the old edition, frankly. Yeah, yeah, I just, I um, I don't get it, you know, why, why can't I... I guess they just don't want to pay the original artist um, or whatever rights no, I to mean, keep that, the original that art. that
1: looks quite dated and to be honest there's like some kind of like weird perspective things going like at one point one of the uh, boats is like directly on top of the prow, like uh, that. Yeah, even in the just... picture that we're looking at right now. Well, I mean, it looks this like is... the prow is sticking up the white. Well, this boats this is the, the German leather.
0: edition right here, and it's just I want to frame this. Like I want to I want a print of this. I want to frame it. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. Anyway, moving on, Tom. Um, so after lifeboats, we played uh, Lowenherz This is uh, Klaus. Tuber, Klaus Tauber, I'm sorry, I don't, can't pronounce your German name. The sequel to Settlers of Catan. Um, yes, yes, uh, Settlers of Catan was 95. This was uh, 96 or 97. Um, I originally described it as medieval gerrymandering. Uh, it is, you know, that description isn't too far off. It is uh, an area control game where you are laying down walls um, to seal off an area around your towers and knights, And the larger your area, uh, the more points you earn. There is a very simple um, action drafting mechanism here where a card will come out, there are three actions on the card, and in player order, you choose what action you want. If there's any conflict, and in a four-player game with three actions, there will be a conflict. Uh, You either offer the other player some money, um, or you blindly bid for it. Uh, As it turns out, you know one person is not going to be able to do anything but that's okay because um the scoring in this game does not fluctuate that much especially compared to other euros like there there are few opportunities to score there are few opportunities to really lose points i i didn't take an action for like the first four rounds and my score stayed the same. Still, uh, Yeah, still quite competitive to the end. And
1: um, it's also structured in such a way that if you're canny, then you can get paid for mm-hmm. not doing anything. Everybody else is going out of pocket to achieve some kind of benefit on their turn, which could be quite marginal. But if you can see a, a good turn to take off but can still keep a good poker face and make your your opponent think that it is actually worth it to pay you to not take a turn, then you could go into the next round with a big old roaring advantage.
0: Yeah, in fact, it is a huge disadvantage to have no money. Uh, one player just... Like a game-breaking disadvantage, get, get, almost. Get, I, will, I will say that it, it didn't affect me, so from a distance, I can't, I can't really say it's a negative, but if you have no money... You're basically out of the game. This you, is another instance of the player
1: who, quote, likes to play boldly, and uh-huh. then so, kind of whines when uh, the bold play doesn't
0: pay off. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he got completely ranched because he just, he had no money mid-game. Yep. So
1: we just knew, like, okay, he can't outbid me. I'll buy this action for $1. Mm-hmm. I'll buy the best action, the one that two players want, for $1.
0: Yep, so, um, okay, so hurts as a game. I wish, Tom, I really wish that this game was the STJ winner. I wish it had the same clout as Catan. Um, I wish that this... oh, it's
1: way more complex than Catan, and there's way more direct competition. So Catan is a gentle,
0: you know, is a gentle evening bath compared to Loenhertz. Yeah, but here, the thing is, I would actually contest that Loenhertz isn't as complex as Catan. For like the re- the reason being is that your your the possibility of actions here is is very trim. You either place walls or you expand walls. But what really, um, what really gets me is that Low hurts is the rare Euro, let alone the rare game that is zero-sum. Uh, it's almost zero-sum. In fact, it's... Um, it, it's it is. It, yeah, I mean, it's, the interesting parts of it are zero-sum, at least. Yeah, it, uh, the, the way the scoring works in the game is that you can expand your territory into another player. They lose points. You gain those points that they lost. Uh, however, the amount of points that you can gain isn't as great as the amount of points that you can lose. Uh, So (laughs) there's actually this great imbalance where you can lose more than what another player could gain. Um, And as it so happened, uh, Tom came back from a fourth place uh, position by making this, this really calculated maneuver to take over two cities. That cost the two players in first and second five points, and he gained 10 off of it, rocketing him up the track. Uh, and securing a win in the end. And then luckily enough, the
1: randomly determined game end triggered, which nobody could have actually foreseen. Right,
0: right. Um, The game end will, will, yeah, it happens automatically. There's one of four, there's a 25% chance it'll just happen in the first turn at the end of the game. But um, uh, I I don't think you had a very solid advantage in knights. Um, So as the way the game works is uh, in order to expand into an opponent's territory, you have to have more knights than them. Um, Tom had more knights than anybody, so even if another card had, had came up, uh, my only way of winning was actually to seal off my last region. There was one region I didn't completely close off, and it just you know it just so happened that we didn't get that far, nope. uh, which which is fine. Like the entire the entire game was like a really tight battle, um, a lot of jockeying for position. Uh, the board uh, offers. Um, some opportunities to really ranch your, just really hose people over, and you also did that with the player who ran out of money. You basically, you basically just walled him in, like he had a uh, a postage stamp. Um, size playing area. By the I, I the wasn't
1: the only one to prey upon the disadvantaged player, but I certainly preyed upon the disadvantaged player.
0: Yeah, yeah, there are some wonky elements that keeps the game from being, um, you know, from, from being a tried-and-true classic. Uh, the end game just happening suddenly, you know, running out of money basically just knocks you out permanently. There's another... The, the silver mine rule is kind of dumb. Yeah, the yeah.
1: Spending um, five dollars to deploy a knight onto a uh, forest is kind of dumb. Well, uh, so I'm
0: fine with the uh, with the forest thing. It's just it, that's just you know checks and balances. But the silver mine uh, rule is kind of lame. Um, there are pre printed silver mines on the map. If they're in your region, uh, you'll get a point for each one. As it turns out, though, or at least we did the base map in the basic setup everyone is basically guaranteed to have at least, like, one or two. So it ends up being kind of a nothing, and the real battle is for those cities, which
1: are worth five. Mm -hmm. Only five over the entire course of the game, but your silver mines,
0: you know, never going to be worth more than one per silver mine card. There's only, like, three or four of those. Yeah, yeah, there's, um, I, you know, maybe it'll open up if we tried, like, the random setup. Um, Oh, I'm sure
1: that it does. I mm -hmm. mean, like, just like, Catan, to fall back to the designer's earlier work, is less interesting to my mind when you have a pre set map and it the Catan's real fun is like randomly setting it all out and kind of seeing where the chaos takes you.
0: So yeah, there's um there's another mechanism in and Hertz that um uh I'm I don't know how strongly I feel about it yet, but uh, once all of your regions everybody will have um, everybody has three towers on the board uh, a region is when a tower is enclosed exclusively to one color if all of your regions are enclosed you cannot place any more walls so did uh... and and I believe they did that rule as an anti-king making step because you know if if anybody can place a wall then it's in their best interest once all the regions are roped off to just screw with everybody else uh, so well, it I- also
1: makes like the rules snarl in really weird ways, like it, what if a two regions subdivide to form another region? Yeah, do you score more points for creating another region, or do you lose points because technically one of your regions just got smaller, as in it was expanded into, except you 're the one who 's making the region, so really should it net out at a zero and also, how can anybody really like interfere with that kind of like subdivision? Within it, it takes the game away from being about like direct conflict, and um, you know fighting your opponents to really just kind of like bookkeeping your own holdings.
0: Yeah, yeah, so just um, just a, f- a few minor issues keeping it from being a true classic, but really, I man, I wish this game um, <laughs> was more popular than Katan. Kind of like Lifeboats, boy, that is an ugly, ugly new edition. So, what I'm showing Tom here is the uh, the 2003 reprint of Hertz called Domain. Colors Do- are all overwashed. And, like, and yeah, the, it's...
1: The tree... How how do you make a tree look ugly it's we're it not is, talking about joshua trees or anything like that here yeah the the, re,
0: the reprint of domain is this is the original here the yeah. reprint of domain is just kind of grotesque it's it's got a like little plastic horses really uh, like the towers are just these shapeless blobs that i think are supposed to be castles i don't know yeah it I looks
1: like it's supposed to actually be camelot or something yeah. but on the other hand like the other ones were like these lovely little rook-looking pieces that were quite evocative and communicative of what they were, and those just... It's not a professional photograph, but those are smuggly-looking pieces.
0: All right. Tom, we got to move on since uh, Tom has some uh, IKEA delivery men coming by today. More board game shelves! Yay! We played uh, Root after um, I was I was playing the cats. Uh, Tom was the vagabond. We had a new player as the Birds, and the player who, who just ranched us, who just pantsed us last yeah. time...
1: undefeated David. Mm. Undefeated David played the Birds last time and won... Uh, in a close game, and now played the Woodland Alliance and won in, again, a close game. Let's see, where, where to begin? I want to say that... Well, let's first just say that Root is a competitive game set in kind of like a Woodland Fantasy... Well, well yes, it's, for it's also... two to four players
0: it, or whatever. It's, it's also an asymmetric game, meaning mm-hmm. that everyone's trying to achieve the same goal, usually get 30 points first. But everybody achieves this goal in different ways. So as, as the cats, um, I was certainly playing uh, more to my part than the last person who played the cats. The cats want to build infrastructure and hold on to what they've got. Uh, well, you certainly scored more points than your predecessor. Yeah, but yeah. But you got whoops. Well, so okay, so what happens is that um, I reached a point where my engine was fully built up. Um, I rocketed up the board uh, to about twenty points. I was one turn away from really sealing the deal and being a player regulated game as we have spoken about uh, a few episodes ago, is that the other players like now have to now have to check you you know they have to remind you where you came from. Um, unfortunately, the birds were knocked out very early. Uh, the birds have are trying to build up an engine they're like a steam train it takes them a while to get going once they get going though they're, they're really hard to knock out so uh,
1: and to extend the analogy it would be like the steam train's
0: boiler blew out
1: on like turn two and they had to go get another get another engine, another locomotive, you know, undo all the cablings, reattach it, and then actually like get it firing up again
0: yeah and it just it never really happened, um which left the uh the mice, the woodland alliance uh to robe free unchecked and then Tom was playing the vagabond um and I played the wolf vagabond which so yeah, yeah, from which was yeah, from the from the opening, I told Tom I was like, you know, here here are the the vagabond's uh, strengths in de- decreasing order. Uh, the tinkerer is generally considered the best, uh, followed by the um, the raccoon, the thief, and then the wolf ranger. Tom, however, chose the wolf ranger, and I was sitting here sweating because I I knew from the outset that the wolf wants to be aggressive. He wants to go hostile. Uh, he wants to murder people and score points. If the vagabond Uh, gets into hostilities, he's going to start accruing points by killing people, and Tom figured that out, (laughs) he figured that out as I was uh, racing to victory, and just, like, Robin Hood, at the end of, uh, you know, Men in Tights, he knocked out my keep, he burned my villages to the ground, he murdered, like, 50 cats, and then turned to me and said, nothing personal. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just a reply, you can't burn a
1: city to the ground and claim nothing personal. Yeah. And I disagree with that. Um, I mean, you certainly can. It might not be genuine. But uh, in 2018, you certainly can't burn a city to the ground and say, oh, well, nothing personal.
0: Yeah, yeah, um... Yeah, we came from the first game of Root. You know, I was cautiously optimistic. You know, Tom was like, eh, I'll take it or leave it. Generally more positive after the second game, Tom?
1: I have uh, three things that I took away that are pretty positive. First thing, and I don't know if I said this before, but it is even in as ground that is well plowed as Western woodland fantasy, medieval woodland fantasy Uh, This is a pretty game, and this is a game that you're going to want to at least look at because the board is gorgeous, the box is gorgeous, the book is gorgeous, even the little, like, meeples and things are extremely just pretty and cute. Um, The second thing is that I do uh, love the asymmetricness of it. I'm not 100% convinced that, like, all of these factions are actually, like, balanced. And it may be that like some factions have a significantly harder job to do than other ones. Um, however, that's checked by the 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 third thing, which is that it really is like a a player oriented game. you can, with the exception of like the random draws of the deck, pretty much determine the outcome of the game solely by the actions that the players take mm-hmm. so the best player will you know has it's their game to lose now the thing is though and this has happened twice is that if you have a player that just really screws it up then that kinda of breaks the game Um there is just like it just it you know it's it's a chair It needs four legs if you if you knock out one of its legs then it's just simply not going to be as steady We really needed like all four factions every single time to be clicking in order to check, to have an active check on all of the the other factions that are playing the game without it that you know, there's going to be an action a reaction and then somebody is going to go unchecked because the reacting player targeted somebody other than them. And that's happened twice now. I don't really have any reason to believe that it wouldn't happen every game that that's situated.
0: It, yeah, it will basically happen every game, especially, you know, well... When a new player is involved, it will happen every game. It, you know, it will happen as you are learning a new faction, uh, because as it as it happened in the last game we played, Tom, you, in the first game, you played the mice. Yep. You did not know that the mice can actually sacrifice a warrior to play sympathy. The sympathy is how the mice get most of their points.
1: Yeah, I did. I overlooked that like kind of an idiot. So I, I you know, definitely left points on the table by mm-hmm. not... Knowing what that that one did,
0: yep, and um, you know, I was playing the cats my first time playing the cats, and I overlooked that they have an ability that lets them um, keep their their guys from dying. And as it you know, as it happened at the end of the game, my guys were dying left and right, so I was effectively knocked out of the game because I didn't read the damn sheet in front of me. Um, and that's you know, that's why I remain optimistic about Root. It gives me the same feeling that I got from playing a Great Western Trail, um, a game that you know. Tom and I really enjoyed uh, all four or five times that we screwed up. <laughs> just royally messed up uh, until you know until things started to click, until the edges started running.
1: Unlike Great Western Trail, though, this game uh, route that we played was super clippy. Like uh, I got it down to seven or eight turns. Uh, I'm fairly confident it went no more than eight because as a Vagabond, uh, you only have one piece to manage, and I can just remember... I went to these four or five places and I did these things in other places. And I just I can calculate that out to seven or eight turns. That's really not a lot of time and I think that we were done within like seventy or eighty minutes, excluding rules tutorial to a new player. Mm-hmm. So that's I mean it's a good good quick like little beat em up.
0: Yeah, yeah, with that without teaching it was about sixty minutes, which um yeah, you know, puts it puts it in the realm of uh, of Kemet. You know, puts it in the realm of uh uh Innis. At least it was puts... a nice Kemet competitor. It yep. does have some Kemet overtones. Mm-hmm. Yep, so that is Root. Now Tom, uh going on, we we played a um a redemption game of Twilight Imperium, uh fourth edition Saturday. Uh we had two new players. It was a six player, ten point game. Um mm, Tom, my mouth's getting a little dry, so why don't you carry it soft from here? The
1: game that we played was driven by one player at our table who was neither of us, actually. But he really wanted to give it another shot after the debacle that we had two weeks ago. One player kind of flew off the handle and did some stuff that pretty much kind of broke the game. Um, and in any event, made it so that at the end of it, that in conjunction with some timing issues... Uh, made it so that no one really wanted to finish out that last game. So, uh, after the one player expressed some interest, we put our heads together. We came back after two weeks and uh, introduced a couple of new players to it. We all had a good time. It was tense, but only a twilight, a normal Twilight Imperium level of, of te- intenseness, uh, of tension. And... I I had kind of an epiphany that there is, like, a really a lot of chaos in that game. Like, you could have two similarly situated fleets, and even more than, like, the dice, like, screwing you over or not screwing you over, those action cards, like, create an awful lot of uncertainty to uh, what could be, like, a routine attack where, like, you know, it might not change the course of the battle but you might take a lot more casualties or many fewer casualties than you would otherwise be projected to take or in as was the case in this one a single action card could turn the course of like an entire critical battle and even if it's not even like really a good card, even if it's extremely narrow, it has only a really narrow effect. Um, we, we have in, uh, done a few uh, innovations to our own game uh, procedurally, which continue to, to kind of, I, I think, continue to work. Do you think that the uh, drafting
0: and banning of certain objectives uh, is, is helpful? Oh, absolutely. Um, yes, Tom has uh, gone through the trouble of instituting a draft on um, agendas... I'm sorry, not agendas, the scoring cards. So we we pick scoring cards that we want to be in the game. Um, that's to offset the imbalance some of the factions have. Uh, I was playing Sardak Nor, um, which starts with zero technology, and is is yeah, you really have to focus on scoring as the Sardac nor more so than anybody else. Widely recognized in the TI community as that being a very powerful race. Mm-hmm. Um, we we build the map and then draft seating order uh, to avoid you know potentially unbalanced uh, maps. Um, I think
1: that we really nailed that this time. I, was, I still have the map set up on my table, and uh, it's, a, I, it's a a little funky in the middle, but for the most part, the planets are
0: evenly spread. Mm-hmm. Yep, and we also remove all the agendas that suck. Basically, any agenda that pops up and people are like, uh, okay, whatever, I abstain, I don't care.
1: Yeah, this has no impact on my life whatsoever, so I don't. So, like, we've gotten it to the point where
0: 90% of all of the agendas everybody's kind of leans forward and says what does that do yeah um anyway so so tom um some interesting developments uh came up in this game uh despite despite us playing overwhelming majority of martial races there wasn't a lot of combat until towards the end and this this ended up naturally naturally leading to a conversation on action cards and what we can do with them, and why we can't trade them, goddammit. For those who don't know, there is there is one faction in the game, the Hakan, who can trade action cards, uh, and they and they can only initiate the trade. You know, they either buy them or they sell them. We we discussed at the end of the game. It's like, well, why can't why can't anybody just <laughs> just buy and trade these things? Because yeah, action cards add a lot to the economy of the game, and I understand why they don't want the Hakan. They don't want to depower. Defang, claw the Hakan. Um, nice. But, you know, we were thinking about a house rule where if the Hakan are not playing then you could just you can trade action cards. Uh, because, yeah, I, I do feel like the action cards are kind of the heart and soul of the game. That creates kind of an opprobrium on the Hakad player, though. If somebody comes and plays the Hakad,
1: they're not really getting anything. They're actually taking something away from five players.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, it, uh, yeah, it does. Uh, that make that Hakad... might create some hard feelings. <laughs> well, you say it creates some hard feelings. I think it really empowers the Hakad, because, yeah, the Hakad come in and said, yeah, we institute a ban... On action cards. You deal with us or you deal with nobody. Well, yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> Gotta go with the guild. Mm-hmm. So do not defy the thieves
0: guild. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to develop this more, you know, on the back burner. But um, action cards are really the heart and soul of the game. They are random, you know, nonsense. Uh, they, do res- they do swing the game... Um, But I think they create drama They create more drama in a game that is all about drama
1: Oh, we also had that Sabotage screw-up That was about action cards, too Yeah, we did did have, um, you know, a couple screw-ups Just a a completely game-altering screw-up, too, in hindsight Like, the the entire thing would have been completely different If we had actually, if the players involved Had bothered to read their cards Yeah, um, read the damn cards, people Um, Yeah for, Uh, For just to not be oblique about it we had uh, in a vote one player actually uh, getting executed by an agenda, which would sh- have entirely shifted the um, the speaker. It would have changed the drafting of the strategy cards in all subsequent turns uh, from that point. And uh, what? One player did was say okay i 'm going to sabotage that card to keep that from happening and then another player said well i 'm going to sabotage your sabotage and then somebody turns to me and says, "Hey, can you sabotage a sabotage and i was like well i don 't see why not but i didn't i wasn 't really playing any of these cards, however clearly written on the sabotage card is You can you cannot sabotage a sabotage. Yeah, yeah. Sabotage, sabotage, sabotage.
0: Yeah, we we were playing with someone who um I I, I'm not I'm not gonna call him like meek. He was just like uh he was a new player. Oh, he wasn't meek. Yeah, no, he
1: was he was far from meek. He was just excuse me. He was
0: he was a new player, and he did like offhand mentioned, uh, you know, he was like uh well can can you sabotage a sabotage as he's looking at the card in his hand. He does not
1: Um, strike me as the kind of person to. forgo an advantage that has been given to him well uh, yeah yeah
0: so i 'm sure i'm sure he recognized that it couldn 't work that way mm-hmm. um, we you know we wanted to move on, and we didn't yeah. have the cards in our hand to reference, so this just kind of slipped through the cracks yeah, <laughs> yeah as it were, yeah, so I guess Tom um you know we, I want to get you out of here in uh, five or ten minutes, uh, yeah, in lieu of a topic t i four if if you're you know, if you've played it before and you feel sour about it, I think really look into modifying the game. Um, it's just
1: ripe for it too. There's so it many, really is, and it really it doesn't feel like we're not playing Twilight Imperium just because we've trimmed out uh, half of the agendas and have changed the way that galaxy build and um, the 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 scoring cards work slightly. Like, it feels, honestly, like we're playing better Twilight Imperium. It feels like it's more competitive because, and quicker, too, Yeah. on that note, because, like, the, the ones that come out are less likely to be dumb ones that nobody can score, and they're more likely to be ones that people say, oh, I can do that one, uh, instead of me just faffing around and making the game harder for everybody to play, I'll actually try to win it.
0: Yeah, um... You know, if you asked me before I played Ti4, what's your opinion on house rules? I would have slammed my fist on the ground and I say no. You know, verboten. But um, yeah, Ti4 is just it's it's more of a toolbox than a game. You know, like it's it's a set of tools for yeah. uh, for instituting uh, this this epic game of galactic power struggle. It it, it it needs it needs the touch of the players just a little bit, just a little bit to turn it from being an above-average game, for the type of game it is, into something that really excels as an event.
1: It's a little bit also like D&D that the rules that you generate on your own have to be tailored to what your your group is. Um, you know, it may be that, that some groups really, really like having all of the agendas, like, because there are some that have a minimal impact and will not, like, shift the game. and. Sometimes that's what people are looking for out of an out of a good agenda. It's just status quo keeps keeps going. Mm-hmm. Now, for my part, like I think you know, if you're gonna have all of these influential planets, or if you you know we're going to have vote, let's vote on who gets a victory point. Let's vote on you know who gets some tech or. You know, something, like, really cool. Something that might, like, actually change
0: the game a little bit in the coming turns. Yep, I 100% agree. Uh, All right, Tom, we're coming up against your, uh, you know, your time limit here. Is there anything you want to... We played some Gloomhaven. Uh, uh, yes.
1: We played some Gloomhaven. We retired two characters. Gloomhaven
0: continues to amaze and excite. Mm-hmm, yep. We we are going to have to
1: do a Gloomhaven episode sometime soon. We
0: certainly do. Um, yeah. We retired two characters. We almost retired a third. Oh, it was close. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was close. Like uh, I think it was Mission Thirty One that we played. People who are coming up on Mission Thirty One in Gloomhaven, you've got some work that you're gonna have to do.
0: Yeah, there there are a couple of missions in Gloomhaven. So this this is my one my one negative about Gloomhaven um, is the is the missions that um, just create new monsters. Uh, there are a couple of missions in the game that basically have monster spawners and. As it were, Gloomhaven is, someti- is sometimes a game where the party composition doesn't matter until suddenly it does. If you don't have a party composition that can really put out a ton of damage, uh, and the first time we went through, we we really didn't.
1: Yes, yeah, that's that's correct. Because, yeah. I mean, we also were playing at a higher level because you were uh, banging on a it- high-level character, and uh, we also had a... One of the characters that retired during the first run through, which we failed, by the way, um, one of the characters who retired just wasn't a damage outputter guy. Yeah. He was a you know put status effects on people and take advantage of them guy. And right. That just doesn't work. No, like it you know it doesn't work usually, but it definitely doesn't work when there's a new uh, monster being outputted by the game every single turn.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's um, there's one sewer mission. In, that takes place in Gloomhaven I, you know, I won't spoil it but let's just say it's a mission that I don't see how it is possible to win uh, two players or even four players because it's just like four monster spotters at the end of a long gauntlet well you're thinking of the monsters who themselves are monster spotters oh no right? I'm, I'm thinking of uh, let's say the runny faucet Okay, you, the runny faucet, I'll call it the runny faucet, I know what you're talking about,, yeah, yeah. yeah, but yep, uh, anything else you need to add before we uh close this episode tom nope. and and take it and take a long hot shower because that- uh. Tom and I just came back from the gym. <laughs> There's some funk here. It's driving the cat nuts. Yeah, yeah, the, cat, the cat's going wild. If you hear any weird rustling in the background, it's because our, our stank is just, he's just going crazy. See you next time, people. You have been listening to Table Topics by Justin Brown and Thomas Lyles. New episodes every Wednesday. You can reach us at tabletopicspodcast at gmail.com or on our Facebook page at tabletopicspodcast.